Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Getting Hammered. This is a very rare solo event. Vic Mattis is out of town. I am here by myself. I'm not usually great at speaking into the ether by myself, but I'm going to channel Donald Trump on truth, and I'm going to put my emotions out there. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to speak in all caps. We're going to make it happen. I am coming off debate night in America. By the time you hear this, it will be a day later. But I had an extremely busy day yesterday. Very busy. Because everything just fell together on the same day that ended up being debate day. So I got up at roughly 4.30 in the morning after being up several times with my baby who's decided that he doesn't know how to put himself back to sleep anymore. 4.30 up because I had to write something that, of course, I had procrastinated on and not finished and really needed to get it out the door in the morning before the children woke up again. So I get up. I work for a little while. I get the children off to school. I come back home, do some work during the day while the big kids are gone. After school, we have after school activities. We got something for one kid here. We got something for another kid here. I take all the kids to where they need to go. I get home at like 530. By that time, it's time for me to go into D.C. to go to a comedy show. And by that, I do not mean the debate, although you could make that argument. But I had bought tickets to a Jen Fulweiler show, who is a she's a stand up comedian. She's a mother of six. She does a very specific niche kind of comedy for basically right of center, more conservative, religious people who are familiar with the idea of having six children and don't think it's super weird. She writes sort of not self-help books, but memoir type books. She's a funny lady. She's an interesting lady. She has her own podcast. I had a plan to go out with four other moms that we made months ago to see this show. And we made this plan before the debate was on the books. And I was like, oh, I'll be damned if this debate is going to steal this mom's night out from me. So we did make it even to a bar to have a little snack and a drink before the show. We go to the show. And then I realize that the show's going to run over the time that I need to start live chatting for the Washington Post, the debate. I had told them I was going to be a little late because honestly, I want to manage expectations. But they asked me to do this. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to be like live tweeting anyway. I might as well. So the show's running over and I sort of do as much as I can to meet that obligation while also sort of sneaking out a little bit. I'm very sorry, Jim Fulweiler, so that I can do the thing that I said I would do for the Washington Post, which is over at the Ruthless Watch Party. So I go to the Ruthless Watch Party at a very loud sports bar and desperately try to find both Wi-Fi and an outlet so that I can do the thing I said I would do. And I finally get on. I finally start chatting. It goes okay. And I will get to the debate situation. Let's just say the bar was chaotic and so was the stage. That was my feeling about the situation. I get done with that. The debate ends. Chat with some people. Get home at 1 a.m. And by the way, during this day, I have also been asked to appear on Bill Maher's show on tonight when you hear this. Friday night. So I'm also making arrangements to make sure my children are cool fly to LA and figure out when I'm coming back from that. And did I mention that my husband has been gone on a trip for three days while all this is happening? He is back now. 
the children will not be unsupervised. Do not worry about it. But we are going to pass the baton, and I'm going to head to L.A. today to do Bill Maher's show. And in all of this, I have forgotten to schedule time to pack. So, like, I'm going to do the podcast. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to do some TV with Martha McCallum later today. I'm going to go straight to the airport. And, you know, if God blesses me with 10 minutes to throw some stuff in a bag somewhere in there, I will do it. And if not, I will be shopping in L.A. for some new clothes. So we can go either way. Anyway, I am on Bill Maher's show with Ron DeSantis is the one-on-one interview. He will not be on the panel, but since he's in L.A., he's coming over to do an interview with Bill Maher. That should be interesting. I am on the panel with Bill Maher, Sam Harris, and myself. That's it. So we should have plenty of time to chat. There's plenty of things to talk about. The writer's strike ended like the day before they needed to schedule this thing, and I said... Sure, I'll fly out. Let me foist my children onto various people and get out there for you. So that's I'm on my way. We will see if I have baggage or not. That remains to be seen. Okay. So shall we do? Look, I'm gonna I'm looking forlornly over at Vic's empty, empty seat for reaction. Come on, Vic. Usually you're much more talkative. Let's run through some debate stuff, shall we? <laughs> open with just this clip, which I feel like is a little bit uh, characteristic of the tone for too much of the debate. Here, here it is. And I'm, we're going to do some more coherent moments in a moment, but... There was a lot of crosstalk. There was a lot of crosstalk, and did I mention I was in a very loud bar? So I'm sure the insights that the Washington Post audience got from me were very coherent. Like, oh, I think I heard this. I'm fairly certain I heard this. I will tell you what I think was the moment of the evening. And this is this sort of tracks with my rankings for the evening. I think Nikki Haley had the moment of the evening when she's straight up Billy madison Vivek Ramaswamy. You'll you'll know the clip. Hold on. Here we go. There's one person on this. This is infuriating because TikTok (laughs) is one of the most dangerous social media apps that we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say, (laughs) because I can't believe they hear you've got a TikTok situation. What they're doing is these 150 million people are on TikTok. (laughs) That means they can get your contacts. They can get your financial information. They can get your emails. They can get text messages. They can get. This is important. This is very important for our party. This is very important for our party, and I'm going to say you've gone and you've helped China build make medicines in China, not America. You are now wanting kids to go and get on the social media that's dangerous for all of us. You went and you were in business with the Chinese that gave Hunter Biden five million dollars. We can't trust you. We can't trust you. We can't have TikTok in our kids' lives. Mr. Ramaswamy, you have 15 seconds. I think. Excuse me. You have 15 seconds, Mr. Ramaswamy. Thank you. I think we would be better served as a Republican Party if we're not sitting here hurling personal insults and actually have a legitimate debate about policy. Okay, so I saw the reaction after. Look, first of all, I think the the line where she says, I hear dumber, I feel dumber listening to you, was the moment of the night. Now, what you can have opinions about what that says about our assessments of these things. Some people said, I noticed afterwards, like, was Nikki Haley a little too 
much on this night as opposed to the last time where she was, you know, she was making her attacks very specifically, very targeted. Maybe there were too many of them this time. It didn't strike me that way. I enjoyed it. Okay, here, here's why I think she's making a decent choice. Vivek Ramaswamy is skilled on stage, but he is not the most likable guy on stage. And she hits him on things that she knows more about than he does. So TikTok and its relationship with the Chinese government is one of those things. He, by the way, was saying like TikTok is terrible. And then he immediately jumped on TikTok because he needed to reach the young people. So she has a, a clean shot here, right? So when she hits him on things like foreign policy and foreign policy related issues, to me, it's clear she knows more than him. I want to give her a hand and I can say this as a lady who is on TV. I think she pulls off a cutting through the noise quite well which can be very hard when, again, I'm a lady, I'm allowed to say it, your voice is not as deep and sometimes commanding as the other people on the stage with you. That can be ta- hard. And then she's doing it, to my mind, without coming off like, oh, pushy woman, we don't like her out there doing that. She comes off confident. She comes off like she knows what she's talking about. So to me, that is the same kind of thing she did last time. And I think people... There are some who say it was like too many attacks. However, if you didn't sit and watch the entire two hour debate, you're not going to see too many attacks. You're going to see the one that was the one that everyone's playing everywhere. And it's going to be on the guy that most people are not super affectionate toward. So I think you're on safe ground. Also, I know you're not allowed to talk about ladies clothes in politics, but I like that red suit. Okay. Second, second in the rankings. Look, I I think she did herself some favors. DeSantis would be my second in the rankings for holding his own, maybe not moving the ball a ton forward. That maybe I, I like the fact that he booked Bill Maher this week. That gives him two chances at national media coverage, the second one on his own against a sometime ideological opponent. Bill Maher and he probably agree on some issues and not others. So it'll be interesting to see that interview. I think he does well in those contexts. Here's, here's him doing what he does best on the debate stage last night, which is arguing with the premise of a question. He did it twice. This was from the very end of the debate where Fox tried to ask a question about if this is a survivor, who are you voting off the island? And here's how this goes. You, on stage tonight, should be voted off the island. <laughs> Please use your marker to write your choice on the notepad in front of you. 15 seconds... <laughs> Starting now, of the people on the stage, who should be... I'm absolutely serious. With all due respect, I mean, we're here, like, we're happy to debate, but I think that that's disrespectful to my fellow competitors. Nobody wants to participate. Let's do some questions. Let's talk about the future of the country. I love that Vivek is like, I'll totally answer it. (laughs) Let me jump in here. Look, I think, look, some of these sort of more gimmicky questions are tricky. It is a very hard line to walk. I don't envy, envy anyone having to do to be a debate moderator because it is tough, especially with this many people on the stage. The thing that's interesting about DeSantis doing this, and this is the second time he's done it in a debate. On the last debate, he sort of short-circuited a hand-raising question. In this one, he says, no, look, I, I think we're here to debate about the future of the country. I'm happy to answer those questions, but we're not doing it this way. That is a very clear way to show leadership and to say, for instance, when I face the press, that I won't automatically be doing what they ask me to do. 
And I think that's something that Republican voters like. Now, Dana Perino, for her part, this is interesting. She concedes, OK, these, these guys are not playing along. She knows she has to shift in some way instead of just letting this fall. So she asks Ron DeSantis specifically this question. Polls don't elect presidents. Voters elect presidents. Right. And we're going to take the case of the people in these early states. We're going to do it in a state-by-state -state direction. And why? Because as Reagan said in his day, this is our time for choosing. We are not getting a mulligan on the 2024 election. Republicans have lost three straight elections in a row. We were supposed to have a red wave with inflation at 9%. It crashed and burned. Not in Florida, it didn't. We delivered it in Florida. And so we've got to choose right. We've got to win. And we need somebody that's going to be able to serve two terms. So in January of 2023, they'll be able to address the nation saying, we turned the economy around, we secured the border, and we fended off the threat from communist China. As your president, I will get that job done. All right. So I think it was a nice audible from Dana, who knew she needed to go a different direction. Some people were like, oh, she's retaliating with this tough question. You know what? He answered the tough question, and he answered it just fine. And he had a very nice moment, too. So I think that was probably the second most interesting moment of the night. He also pushed back on the premise very hard, as he should, from the Univision reporter who asked him about curriculum in Florida. So we'll play a little clip of that. What is your message to them? So first of all, that's a hoax that was perpetrated by Kamala Harris. Uh, we are not going to be doing that. Second of all, that was written by descendants of slaves. These are great black history scholars. So we need to stop playing these games. Here's as always, Vivek Ramaswamy was uh, a presence. A presence. Look, he has skills. He has skills on the stage. I think he's good at communicating. The question is, which version of Vivek Ramaswamy is he communicating at a given moment? And is he interested in actually running against Trump? By the way, Trump didn't come up very much at all last night. It's amazing to me how little he gets talked about. I know you don't want to talk about him 24-7 because when we talk about him 24-7, we're not talking about the economy. We're not talking about things that matter. But while you're talking about things that matter, you need to make clear that the reason you're talking about the things that matter is because you want to be president instead of this guy. And you have to say, I can address the things that matter in a way that he cannot. I am better than him. And I think we see far, far too little of that. But here's Vivek having a moment about mental illness and issues of transgender kids and parents having a right to know in schools. I just think he he hits the right points on, on issues like these. 10.7 million students in over 18,000 public schools nationwide have the ability to change their identity without parental notification. Governor Christie told Stewart last week that he would pass a federal law to protect parental rights. Would you try to do the same? I have to be very clear about this. Transgenderism, especially in kids, is a mental health disorder. We have to acknowledge the truth of that for what it is. I met two young women early in this campaign. On parental rights in school. Parents have the right to know. And you know what the hypocrisy of this is? Even New Hampshire failed to actually get past a piece of legislation here. The very people who say that this increases the risk of suicide are also the ones saying that parents don't have the right to know about that increased risk of suicide. And I'm sorry, it is not compassionate to affirm a kid's confusion. That is not compassion, that is cruelty. I met two young women, Chloe and Katie, early in this campaign, who are in their 20s, 
now regret getting double mastectomies and a hysterectomy. One of them will never have children. And the fact that we allowed that to happen in this country is barbaric. So I will ban genital mutilation or chemical okay, castration under the age of 18. And parents in, in, have absolutely the right. Would you try right. to pass a federal law that says parents, parents should have that right? We are going to require yes. states absolutely okay. have to then follow that through. We stand to for parental rights. Yes. I think that's a really good point. There, of course, people are going to come down on him. Trans activists are going to come down on him for characterizing it as a mental health disorder. This is a debate that for too long we have not been allowed to have. He's just going full bore and categorizing it the way he thinks it should be categorized and the way many parents think that it should be treated. But the part about you're telling me my kid is at increased risk for all these really, really bad things and also, as a result, we must keep this a secret from you. Parents do not take kindly to that at all. This is a bit of a gimme of a question because it's so within the Republican wheelhouse right now and Republican voters wheelhouse right now. It is also a 70 to 85 percent issue when you talk about notifying parents about their minor children's identification changes. That is just stand next to that issue. The media will tell you that you're wrong about it, but you're not wrong about it. We're of all stripes. Parents want to know these things. I think Ramaswamy has a good way of communicating these things. There's another part of the the debate where he talked about sort of he started it was like a he went on a journey. He went on a journey from fentanyl coming over the border to the fact that we have a demand problem on this side of the border, which is that a lot of people want these drugs. Then he told a story about an accidental overdose from someone who someone who's lost their son because it was laced with fentanyl. Then he moved into why do we have these mental health problems and maybe it's social media and maybe there should be a ban on young people using social media. And it it was a lot. And he wasn't necessarily connecting the dots exactly. But I think what he speaks to and this is what he spoke to in the last debate when he said the thing about this. He countered Pence by saying. This is a morning in America time. Like, it's a darker time. I think this answer about fentanyl that goes through mental health, that goes into social media and education and all of our problems and all of our sort of despair issues, I think he's hitting on something that people feel in a very real way. And even if he's not connecting all the dots exactly, and media will probably fact check him on some of this, I think... Again, that it it speaks to a thing people feel, which is that like, yes, maybe all these things are connected in some way. And maybe maybe there are ways to prevent it that are sort of outside the box that we're not discussing. And it's not just a border problem and it's not just a mental health problem and it's not just a drug problem or an overdose problem. But it it may have something to do with the TikTok. (laughs) So I thought that was an interesting moment, even though I'm not sure I feel about that answer. All right. What else do we have? Oh, oh my gosh. Y'all, I got to tell you, I'm generally in favor of a Chris Christie quip. I, I object to this one. And I want to look in that camera right now and tell you, Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. I know you're watching. Okay. And you're not here tonight. Not because of polls and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on the stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You keep doing that, no one up here is going to call you Donald Trump anymore. We're going to call you Donald Duck. Uh, Look, 
I think everything but the very last line is very on point. <laughs> I think he is watching. I think he doesn't want to be on stage because he's afraid that's not going to go well. There's a meme of Chris Christie reacting to his own joke, which <laughs> I enjoy. He's giving himself this like, mm, raised eyebrows, Donald Duck. Y'all heard that, right? The critique is warranted. I'm not sure I love that line, Chris Christie. But I did enjoy that Chris Christie went after him several times on the issue of not showing up. At the very end of the debate, he's like, look, we're all here. We're all showing respect for the voters. He is not. And that should say something to voters. Now, here's the question. Does it say something to voters? We're not sure. Because the problem is if voters don't mind being disrespected, then of course he will not respect them. That's how that works. But one Iowa voter in the CNN focus group afterwards, she had some thoughts about that. And she's like, she's a young female voter. I don't know her stats other than that, but it's clear from the video. Here's what she had to say. I think it's disrespectful that he didn't come to um, try to earn Iowans votes because so many people's votes are still up for grabs here in Iowa. And so not coming to um, try to earn that with the other candidates, I think is a sign of disrespect. And I don't think he earned anyone's vote by not coming. Now, Many would argue that he wins just by virtue of being in the lead and not showing up and taking any punches. But I do think there is a risk of not showing up and eventually paying a price for it. As I've said in the past, an inevitability campaign is not the safest kind of campaign to run. It's sort of a lazy campaign. It's banking on things that you not shouldn't necessarily bank on. It is a practice in taking things for granted. And if you take things for granted, please see Hillary running against Obama, thinking she was definitely getting the nomination. Please see Hillary running against Trump, thinking she was definitely going to win the presidency. If you run like that, the thing can fall apart fairly quickly. And so I think she needs she he he needs to be as wary as one Hillary Clinton should have been about that falling apart at some point. That being said, he's very he's very far ahead, which is why, by the way. Ron DeSantis, after the debate, is talking with Hannity. And Hannity, sounds like Hannity's going to become like a, a stop. He could, be, he could be like a real stop for these presidential candidates or wannabe candidates in the case of Gavin Newsom in the, in the near future. Not only does he have this Newsom-DeSantis face-off on his calendar for November 30th, here's DeSantis pitching another idea to Hannity. Maybe we can say... Since the former president didn't come here, maybe he'd be willing to do one with, with you and I. I think he owes it to our voters to come and make the case. You're I now mean, challenging it. So this is going to be Hannity one-on-one -on -one debate Let's central. do it. Let's do it, right? <laughs> I'll do anything. So, I'll ask here, him. Here's the thing, though. No. You owe it to the voters to come and make the case. No one's entitled to anything. You know, you yeah. can say, oh, the, some poll months before. No. you got to make the case. you got to owe it to the voters. So I'm going to show up everywhere. I think that that's what you're able to do. All right. So that's DeSantis pitching a one-on-one -on -one debate with Donald Trump. I mean, I would be there for that. I'd be there for it. Okay, one more one more moment of, and this, like I said, I, I, ranked, I ranked Nikki Haley high, thought she had a good night. She's commanding. She's presidential. She's believable doing this work. This is a moment where it didn't look great, where she and Tim Scott got into it pretty hard about, honestly, I don't even remember what, but someone else steps in. You voted for, you, sure that the you actually asked and for a gas tax increase in South Carolina. 12 years, where have you been? Where 
I voted no on all. I voted on most of things. We've waited. I have voted and nothing most, has here, happened. Here's what you've done. Years. Here's the thing that I, 12, I just find interesting. Ron, Ron, let me finish all the first. All these guys have said here's the things, fact, and I appreciate a lot of the things they're saying. Nikki I'm Haley. the only one up here who's gotten in the big fights and has delivered big victories for the people of Florida, and that's what it's all about. You can always talk, but when, when it gets hot in there, when they're shooting arrows at you, are you going to be stand up for parents' rights to keep the state free? Are you going to be able to do all those things? And in the state of Florida, because of our success, the Democratic Party lies in ruins. We have won the big fights. We have turned our state into a Republican state. People respond to leadership. I've done it while others have talked about, about it. All right. I also want to play one clip from uh, Doug Burgum, who I thought got a lot more time this time around. He's not straight off the Achilles injury. He is wearing a boot. I saw a picture of that last night, but he's up there doing the thing. Look, I think when Doug Burgum speaks, he's compelling. I think he has a good social IQ. He connects his policies to personal stories in a way that is natural and in a way that a lot of candidates are not great at. And There was one moment that I appreciated, especially where he explained what our sort of Frankenstein healthcare system does to incentives and why things cost what they do. And I just enjoy when I get an economics lesson that everyone can understand from the stage. So here's Doug Burgum doing that. I think this is a state's issue, but I do want to say something, because all night long we've been talking about issues, about how it's broken in Washington, and I respect all of the people on the stage here for their 100-plus years of public service. Thank you. But the reason why we're not talking about education or health care or safety being a problem in North Dakota is because we have a business leader. I've got more experience as a business leader than I think this whole group combined. I know I've created more jobs than everybody else on stage, thousands of high-paying jobs that have real meaning. So as a business leader, you come in and you treat the taxpayer like a customer. So in North Dakota, instead of fighting with the teachers' unions, we actually created a K-12 coordinating council. Everybody gets in the room, and the customer is the student. But you do understand that this is an issue that many people in America really are concerned about, worried about, about parents and notification and schools. Yes, and that's why we we have 50 platforms of innovation. That's why we have states. There are certain things the federal government is supposed to do. It's not the Department of Education that needs to be assembled. We've got to move it back to states. Do what we did in North Dakota. Instead of like, oh, here's a choice school and here's an old here's an old school, the old way with the teachers union and the kids are trapped. We made every school in North Dakota an innovation school. Every school got out from under the red tape. And the things that, that help teach the values that we're trying to get, like 4-H, okay. like FFA, no, like no, Boy Scouts, no, the they can get credit for all of that no, stuff. In North Dakota. And by the way, North Dakota is now at the top of the median SAT scores in the country right now. So is there a little bergamentum? I don't know. Look, I am partial to him. I think he has an interesting bio. He's interesting to listen to. He has some talent. There is a news story sort of emerging about him, which I had not read before, even though I care deeply about this issue, which for some many Republican voters might be a disqualifying issue, which is that he vetoed a school choice bill in North Dakota. Now, he says he vetoed it because it didn't go far enough. He created a sort of working group between public schools and unions and activists on the school choice issue. I think those things can inevitably swing toward union control and government favor as opposed to freedom's favor when you have government working groups like that. But I'm sure he will have to defend himself on that in the near future, because if there is bergamentum, that will be one of the things that would prevent that wave from growing. So we'll we'll learn more about that as we go forward. All right, to close, I'm going to close with something silly. 
slash slightly icky. And Vic's going to be sad he wasn't here to make jokes about this. At one point, again, Chris Christie making good points, then getting a little too far out over his skis. He was making a point about the teachers unions being the problem with public schools. He said that we don't have public run schools anymore. We have schools run by teachers unions and the politicians who listen to them. And then he said that Biden couldn't possibly fight these forces because he had been sleeping with a teachers union member for many years, by which he meant Jill Biden. And I just think married to would be fine. Married to would be fine. And then, if I'm not mistaken, one Mike Pence used that as a jumping off point to say that he had been sleeping with a teacher for many years. By which he means his lovely wife, but I'm just saying, guys, let's just use married to. This is the GOP primary debate. Let's keep it clean. I know it's all within marital bonds, but let's... It just felt like it got a little out of hand there. Maybe not. Speaking of decorum, I have updates. We're moving on from the debate. I have an update. Are you guys ready for this? The Senate unanimously passes a formal dress code. (laughs) So the Fetterman adventure in styling the U.S. Senate is over, guys. The U.S. Senate has passed a resolution formalizing business attire as the proper dress code for the floor of the chamber by unanimous consent. This comes after Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer chose to stop enforcing the unwritten requirement, and Democratic Senator John Fetterman's casual dress became a flashpoint in the Capitol. The bipartisan bill from Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Utah Republican Senator Mitt Romney. You can imagine both of them just being like, what are, what are we doing here? How, let's, let's regain our dignity. Requires that members abide by a real dress code rather than an unwritten custom. When on the Senate floor, that includes a coat, tie, and slacks for men. The resolution doesn't specify what is deemed as business attire for women on the Senate floor. Could this have been handled worse? First of all, why go down this path? Okay, you don't have to go down this path. John Fetterman can wear a suit. We've talked about it before. If if Max Cleland, if Bob Dole, if John McCain, if Tammy Duckworth can all wear suits, he can wear a suit. I am a casual person. I'm basically wearing leopard print pajama pants and tennis shoes right now, okay? But I'm on a podcast. I am not on the Senate floor. If I were on the Senate floor, I would be dressed well. <laughs> Better. I'm dressed okay, all right? Let's, let's grade it on a curve. Anyway, I'm just a podcaster. But... He decides, okay, we're going to make this special exemption so John Fetterman can wear whatever he wants. Fetterman proceeds to wear the sloppiest ensembles perhaps I have ever seen. I mean, they're really impressively sloppy. There are good ways to dress casually. There are snazzy, yes, that's right, I said it, snazzy ways to dress casually. There are a million of them. We have all sorts of things available to us. He's not choosing any of those things. He's choosing a very slouchy hoodie and very scummy gym shorts. It is not a good look. And I think that the wiser heads in the Senate went to Schumer and were like, have you watched this video? Watch this man presiding over the Senate. Do we really want this to be our brand? Like our brand isn't bad enough. We want this to be the picture of senators and they prevailed this passed unanimously which is like oh i guess we're unified on one thing which is that you should not look like a total schlub 
on the Senate floor. So that's that's something. We got that going for us. But the crazy thing is, if Schumer was going to do this, did he not think it through at all? Did he not consult with anybody? Did he not imagine that Fetterman would flout the rules to such a degree? I why would you think that? And then to put Fetterman, so if you really think Fetterman is going through something, and he is, I just don't think he's going through something that requires that he dress like that. He's going through health problems. He has real challenges. If you think he's going through that, why do you put him through this news cycle for a week only to change your mind a week later? <laughs> Oops. That's, that should be studied in PR and political operations and messaging classes, because that was... That was a strategic mistake, that one. My goodness. Okay, another update. Speaking of one-on-one debates, I mentioned Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis meeting up on Hannity's show in November in Georgia. I think that will be interesting. I think that those two are a nice matchup, a positive contrast to the enfeebled, probable nominees for both parties. And look, I don't agree with Newsom, but I think he can talk and he he has a different vision than DeSantis has. DeSantis also can talk and has facts at his command. And I would not mind seeing them spar over those two visions. Newsom has been pushing for this, clearly made the agreement with Fox and with Hannity and with DeSantis. And then he has this to say when he's back home being interviewed, I think by a local guy. But here, here he is talking about it. This week, we learned that it's going to happen a debate between you and Ron DeSantis, November 30th, Fox News Channel, Sean Hannity in Georgia without a crowd, uh, just the two of you. Why are you doing that? And what is your strategy? Well, I I don't know if that's the right question. Why is he doing it is the right question. He's running, I think. I'm not sure after tonight. But currently, he's running for president of the United States. and you, you, think think still be a, you think he'll still be a candidate on November 30th? That's an open-ended question. Part of me wonders if, he, you know, uh, the fact that he took this debate, the fact that he took the bait in relation to this debate, shows that he's completely unqualified to be president of the United States. That's my humble first Why is that? You're baiting him with the debate Of offer? course. I mean, why is he debating a guy who's not even running for president when he's running for president? He's showing up at the Reagan Library, hollowed ground, and he puts out an ad today, not for his presidential campaign, to promote a debate against the governor of California? I mean, this guy's distracted. So I don't know that he has it in his heart. I think, here's my personal opinion about Ron DeSantis, he regrets running for president. Mm. He made a huge mistake. He listened to his consultants. He bought his own hype. He had this little God, God complex. I mean, look at the ads themselves. Literally, God created. I mean, he bought into all this stuff. And he quickly regretted it, but he's stuck. And here's the problem. Get one chance of first impression. He's belly flopped. He's down 30 plus points from where he started. So it's a, it's a terrible situation for him. <laughs> okay. I just want to go, let's go back to this point that Newsom is making. That they're going to have this debate. Arguably, as I have said, this elevates both of them to the standard bearers for these two visions. Presumably, that's why Newsom is doing it. But now he's making the argument that it elevates him to have this debate, but it disqualifies DeSantis for DeSantis to talk to Newsom, which seems like an insult to Newsom to me. There's a scene in Happy Gilmore where, and I think I might have, someone pointed this out. There's a scene in Happy Gilmore where, where Shooter McGavin says, I eat pieces of like you for breakfast. 
to Happy Gilmore. And Happy Gilmore says, you eat pieces of shit for breakfast? And I think that's what happened here. Newsom was trying to insult DeSantis and kind of accidentally insulted himself. Nonetheless, I look forward to this event. And I think that Gavin Newsom is trying to signal that he is this quaffed stallion with a beautiful mane in the in the stables should they need him. I'm sure that Kamala is very upset about it. I believe her camp has already leaked some of that discontent, <laughs> which I enjoy. And we shall t- see the two of them face off, at which point somehow it's disqualifying to talk to the governor of California. Sure, whatever. All right. I'm not going to leave you guys hanging. Even though Vic is not here, I needed his opinion on the most important news story of the week, which, of course, is the possible budding, what do we think, relationship, situationship between Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey of the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm going to let you enjoy our thoughts on that. We need to talk about Travis Kelsey. Yeah, okay. Of the Kansas City Chiefs mm-hmm. and his relationship yes. with Taylor Swift. Confirmed this week when she showed up in the box at the Kansas City Chiefs game where she cheered on the 6-3 tight end, Kelsey, not that I'm counting, as he scored a touchdown late in the game. A she beefy was, guy. She, he is a big dude. She was there as tight ends are wont to be. He was there in the box in the company of Mama Kelsey. Yeah. Who? Way to go, Mama Kelsey, because she got Jason and Travis in the NFL. Bring her back to your mother. Well, it seems quite early for that. That is very early for that. Okay, one. Unless you're Taylor Swift. Do we think that this relationship is real and not just a psyop and media play for the rest of us to pay attention to? Okay. I He's like, I don't there. care and I don't what, know. What, what? <laughs> you, we, you know, we can read each other's minds, Mary yeah. Catherine. I, I literally wrote down in bold all caps, why is this news? <laughs> uh, people get so excited about this and I don't understand why. So I consulted uh, an expert on this, my daughter. Okay, there you go. And she said that every relationship that Taylor Swift has is news. This is true with an asterisk. Ooh. The last relationship she was in I just looked it up today. It was six years long. It, she dated, I would have said cut him off after six. two years. That would How be, old? She's like in her 30s. She's 33 now. Oh, so boy. she started dating mm-hmm. him at 27. Well, it's time to at get 29, serious. if I were friends with Taylor Swift, I would have been yeah. like, is this going anywhere? And do we need to? But she didn't. She dated him for six years. I still can't remember his name, no, even though I looked kept, they, it up. He, they were secretive about this because I saw part of that Taylor Swift documentary only to be with my daughter watching right, it at right, the time. Right, I didn't watch it on my own. And they refused to show his face. Yeah. She was very, you know, referred to him very obliquely and didn't want to talk about it. But the more she didn't want to talk about it, everyone wants to talk about it. Yeah. And as my daughter reminds me, for example, you know, she dated Harry Styles and Harry then Styles, she wrote a song Joe about Jonas, it called every, Style. Everybody and, uh, gets not, I don't. I, I don't have song. any thoughts on this, by the way, okay. except for that. <laughs> he knows uh, nothing, guys. I, let me just say this and then I, I, okay. I'm going to toss it back to you, which is because of how I feel like I don't care about this. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't care about this at all i feel like i could date her <laughs> like i feel like i feel like i would be totally not in, in this right. of course there's no question why she would want to date me but i mean why i would why i say that is uh-huh. because i wouldn't be freaked i wouldn't be like this is you know like oh, i wouldn't be because i'm okay. not a swifty i'd be like put hey, him on the roster no, no, Tay-tay. Just, if she were to walk in right now mm-hmm. i would be like 
I'd be like, hey, what's up? Oh, that's all I'd be. That, that I'd was very up. cool. Thank you. You like that? That was totally cool. Yeah, like, cool. I could, you know, I could take you or leave it. What's up? If Paul McCartney walked in here, uh, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> but but Taylor Swift, oh, you know, hey, whatever. First of all, I love that move. Thank you. Um, now, <laughs> too bad we'll never know. All right. Look, I think there's a chance that this is like a media, a publicist pairing, right? You think so? I, that's what a that's what a lot of people think. Okay. I want to root for them because I like the Kelsey family. I listen to the Kelsey bros on their podcast, yeah. which is very funny. They're very charming. His older brother is married to a woman named Kylie, who is often also on the podcast, and she's super cool. Mm-hmm. And Jason Kelsey and Kylie seem to have a very nice relationship. They have three children, and I think she should be, she could be a very good influence on Taylor. And <laughs> perhaps the four of them could go out on double dates, and it could all rub off, and it could be very, very functional. It could happen. I'm rooting for her. Here is what uh, Pat McAfee had to say about uh, what Travis needs to do here. The lady that sells out every stadium in the world 10 times. The lady who wears a cardigan and sometimes feels like she's 22. The lady who plays for three and a half hours in the rain and Bill Belichick says, she's pretty tough, man. Yeah. She said, you know what? The man of my dreams that I'm going to marry, this isn't just date like no. others in the past. Uh-uh. Is an NFL guy. You see us out here fighting? Let's go. I'm so pumped for Trav. Next album's going to be huge. Very happy for the new couple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If it's real. Exactly. Hope it is. Trav and Taylor are going to take over the world. I do fear all of her songs, just from listening to the songs, I do not know her. So her songs are like... A diary. Basically. Trev, what we're saying to you is treat her right. Yeah. Because yeah. if not, <laughs> there's a hot 15 coming. That's not 15 minutes. It's 15 songs. Exactly. About this football man. Right. Oh, my. Last forever. The pressure on him. Ah! You hold the fucking door open, Trev. Yep. Exactly. Okay? Everywhere. Every single place you go to. You make sure you chew with your mouth closed. Yep. Yeah. Okay? Yes. We're talking about talking to the parents every single time. You see them, everything. You need to be a knight in shining armor. You're representing all football. Yeah. Okay, Trev? I need you here. We appreciate you, buddy. You're the right man for the job. Right, Go, get him, Travis. <laughs> Go get him, Trev. That's pretty good advice. Okay. Particularly yeah. the parents. It's yes. all about the parents. Do you know what I like about this? Almost this all about the This is a parents. sports talk show, right? You would perhaps expect that it goes down a bad road and sort of scorns Taylor for her past or for the way that she does write songs about everyone. Instead, they take the opportunity to say to Travis, you know what? Make it look good out there, buddy. Make it look good out there. That's right. And I appreciated that. And maybe that's what Taylor needs. Well, now here's the the last point. Please. And you can stop caring about this for a little while. There does need to be some proportion in the coverage, and I know I'm part of the problem. All of NFL coverage this week was her. Mm -hmm. So maybe let's take it down a notch or else she is going to um, earn earn more haters in the NFL fan ranks, I think. I mean, uh, I'm rooting for her, I guess. Not that I care, but, you know, like I think about what Kanye West did to her. That messed her up. Not that I care. But it messed her up he for a nothing, long time. Guys. That's why she had the album that came out after that to but can I just exercise make one, those Can demons. I just make one more point about yes. Taylor Swift? Some of my friends recently were making decisions about the Joe Jonas-Sophie Turner breakup based on Joe Jonas's treatment of Taylor Swift when she was 17. Now, 
that's a long time to hold on to that storyline. And that's the power of Taylor Swift. I went and looked up that relationship. They, d- they dated from July to October. Let's not make our decisions about Joe Jonas and his current wife based on a 17 17- <laughs> relationship between two teenagers that was three months long. That is, that's the thing about the longevity of the Taylor hits is that they keep these things top of mind. Okay. Which one is Joe Jonas? I'll explain. Is he later. the older one, the middle one? He's not the actor. That's Nick. Nick is the cutest. Then Joe. Then and then the, the other one. Then the third one. You know where they're from? You know where they're from, Mary <laughs> Catherine. You know where, where they're from? They're from Wyckoff, New Jersey. As we close out today, please tune in to Bill Maher, Real Time with Bill Maher. You can see me there. And Ron DeSantis, who I will not claim it. If he talks to me, he's not disqualified. I'm just elevated, guys. I'm elevated. All right? So thanks for getting hammered responsibly. I hope you enjoyed this rare solo show, and I hope you enjoy our hot takes on Travis and Taylor, who I did hear someone was calling Trailer as a <laughs> as a name, which is, no, I think we should try something different, guys. All right. I'm at MK Hammer on social media, at MK Hammer Time on Instagram. You can follow us at Getting Hammered Podcast on YouTube and on Instagram. Find us everywhere. Listen, watch. Thanks for being here. This has been a Nebulous Media Podcast. 